I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We're uh, starting, so this, there's five Sundays here between the end of the Christmas season and the start of Lent, which of course starts on Ash Wednesday. This year it's on um, Valentine's Day, actually, so uh, February 14th. So there's four, five Sundays, and uh, during this time I just thought it would be uh, appropriate to preach about the state of the church. So I'm not going to talk about the readings. I wrote a little blurb in the bulletin that gives like a summary of the readings. And I've mentioned this before. I make videos every week and post them online uh, that, that talk about each reading so that a person could watch those and uh, study them before coming to Mass if you want to do that. So those, uh, that blurb is in the bulletin. The website is in the bulletin, catholicbiblestudies.org. Uh, you can check those out if you'd like to. But I'm just going to preach about the state of the church because I have, I have two kind of primary groups in mind. And I know there's other people uh, other than just these two primary groups. But I have one primary group, which is a group of people that just loves the church that we are members of, like has such a deep love for this church and has always loved the church or maybe has, has uh, been away but has come back and, and loves this church so deeply. And then to see the headlines or to hear uh, different things that people are saying, uh, including members and leaders of the church, including the pope or bishops or whatever. Uh, and it just seems like sometimes maybe what is being spoken or taught or said doesn't quite match up with, with the church that I grew up in kind of mentality or, or the church that I love so dearly. And so it seems like it's a worthwhile thing for, for this group of people to like, let's talk about that in, in a kind of way. Then there's maybe some other, other people who also love the church, but more than they love like the church, they love this parish. And not, neither of these are, are bad things by any means. In fact, they're both really good. But sometimes I think if we just get so tied up in our little parish here at St. Anne's or St. Clement's or wherever our little parish is, uh, sometimes we can forget that we're part of this huge institution that spreads across the world. that has over a billion members in it. And we get so wrapped up into our little parish that maybe we, we miss sight of some things that are taking place. We, we miss sight on like, okay, well, look around. We don't see many kids or any kids right now, but there are actually many young people in the church alive today. And if all we do is focus on our little parish, we can lose sight of that actually, and it can be a little bit hopeless. And so maybe in some ways to provide a little bit of hope, even while we kind of wade into some of the, the difficult things or messy things happening in the church today. So a couple of these Sundays, uh, they're going to be a little bit difficult, depending on your perspective um, of, of things that are being taught and, and spoken. Uh, the hope is that at the end of the series, we'll finish with a note of hope. But again, part of that note of hope is going to depend on your perspective. Um, but anyway, I think it's, it's a, a series that's going to be worthwhile to just talk about, like, okay, what's going on in the church? And, and how does that relate to us? How can we live within that, that place? So the first thing to do, I suppose, is like before we really get into the series, is to define this term, the church. What is the church that, that we're talking about? Because in, in Goodridge, in Grigla, in Oakley, there are, you know, there's, there's the Catholic churches, there's the Lutheran churches, there's another Lutheran church. There, you know, like there's, there's all kinds of different churches, I suppose. And then in the wider scope of things, there's, you know, there's Presbyterian churches, there's Methodist churches, there's, there's Byzantine churches. You know, like there's, there's non-denominational churches. There's so many different churches. Like what is the church that we're speaking about? So when we speak about the church in this context, we're talking about the one church that Jesus Christ established, which is the Catholic church. That is the one church that he establishes that we can historically go back to the apostles and see that Jesus founds his church on Peter. Actually, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, 
He says to Peter, just as we actually heard in our, our gospel passage today, when, uh, in the gospel of John, when Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus, Jesus says, you are Simon, I am telling you actually that your name is Cephas, or, or the, the more uh, literal translation in Aramaic would be Kepha. And the word Kepha in Aramaic means rock. We translate it in Greek to be Petros, which again means rock. So Jesus says, you are rock. He changes his name to rock. And on this rock, I build my church. So that church is historically and truly, biblically, the Catholic church. And so that's what we're talking about, which has certain members, beginning with Peter. Peter is given an office by Jesus when he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosened. He gives him this office that, that is what? Well, if, if you were to go on a vacation for an extended period of time, you would probably do what? You would probably call up a friend or a family member and say, hey, will you watch my house while I'm gone? And the person would be like, great, I'd be happy to. Can I get your keys so that I can get in? And you would give them the keys so that while you're away on vacation, what would happen? That person would have a kind of authority over your house. So that if something terrible was to happen, or if a decision needs to be made about your house, what would they do? They would have the ability to make that decision, have that ability to make a binding decision on what happens to your house. Now, the, the idea and the hope and the expectation is that they wouldn't just make an arbitrary decision, that they would just decide, well, this is what I would do. So that's, that's, but instead, it's like, no, what, what do I think this person would do, the person I'm watching their house? Right? So that's the idea, is that Peter, who is the first pope, uh, he occupies this office, and he has the authority from Jesus to make binding decisions about matters concerning the church, concerning our faith, concerning the way that we live our lives, our morals. And this is an office so that when he dies, what happens? Another man takes his place. And when he dies, another man, right? So it's an office that is perpetual so that we can go all the way up to today, Pope Francis is a successor to St. Peter. So the first member of the church, we could say, is, is the Pope, uh, Peter, and his successors. But then underneath him would be the apostles. The other apostles in, in chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew are also given authority to bind and to loose sins, to make decisions in their own way, in their own kind of local area. And they too occupy an office, and so they too have successors, who today we call the bishops. Bishop Cousins, we say, is a successor to the apostles. And then underneath them, in the Acts of the Apostles, we see that there are other men who are ordained to share in that authority in a kind of way, although not in to share the, the same amount of authority. The presbyters that are ordained, we call these priests, and then deacons who are ordained. These, these men constitute the leadership of the church. And then, of course, the bulk membership of the church, that is the majority of membership, is what we call the lay faithful, the lay men and women, people who are not ordained, but who, people who God calls to holiness, people who God loves, who care, he cares for, who Jesus dies for and desires that they would be saved and enter into the eternal kingdom. In so many ways, we could say that, that Jesus ordains all of these men for the purpose of the lay faithful having access to God. It's all at the service of you, ultimately, of the lay faithful. So that's, that's like the membership. And you, too, have a role in the life of the church. Of course, the role that you have is to bring the presence of God into the world. The role that you have, especially as, as, as anyone who's raising children or, or who is helping with catechesis, your task is this incredibly important task, which is to form young people in the life of the faith, to form them to know, love, and serve God in this life so that they can be happy with him forever in the next and so that the kingdom of God can expand. So that's, that's the church that we're talking about. So this first week of the series, before we get into talking about the current state of the church, I think it's worthwhile to first take a minute and say, okay, well, 
Whose church is this? Well, it's Jesus's church. So as we look at Jesus's church, it's worthwhile to ask the question, what does he have in mind for this church? Right? If I called a group of friends together, if I called my friend up in Alaska, if I called Father Peter down in the Twin Cities, I said, hey, come hang out with me. The first question they would be is like, why? What do you, what do you have planned? What's, like, what, what's in your mind? Like, what, what is it that you want to do as we get together? Right? So it's the same thing for Jesus. He establishes a church. And so we want to ask the question, why? Why are you establishing this? Like, what do you have in mind for your church? What, how do you want, like, what do you want this group to do? Right, so, and again, to look not according to what my thoughts are or according to what your thoughts are, but to look according to like what's, what's in the mind of Jesus. And of course, the benefit is that we have the scriptures. We have the gospels specifically and, and, uh, and the letters of Paul, the letters of Peter, we get, so that we can understand what's in the mind of Christ. Like what is the purpose of the church and what is the mission? What does he want his church to do? And to answer them according to what's in his mind. And so very, very, very simply, or try to be very simply, what is, what is the reason that Jesus establishes his church? Well, he knows that he's on earth in a, in a bodily kind of way in a, for a limited period of time. He knows this. He predicts it several times that he's going to uh, suffer. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be killed, and he'll be laid in a tomb. And then he'll rise from the dead. But then he knows that, that after he rises from the dead, he's going to go back to heaven. He's going to go back to the Father. He's going to return to the Father. And so he establishes a church so that his presence can still be present on earth. That's like the purpose of the church. The purpose, the primary purpose of the church is to be the living presence of God on earth or to at least reveal the living presence of God on earth. That's the purpose of the church, of its leadership and of all its members, to be a light for the nations, a light, a world that is, that is in darkness. And so the light does what? A light brings clarity. A light brings, brings better vision. So that what? So that people can be drawn toward the light to want to come into this community and that people then, when they're in the light, can see more clearly what it looks like to get into heaven, to, to enter into relationship with God, not just here on this earth, of course here on this earth, but also forever with the Lord in heaven. So the church has, has certain tasks as a part of that purpose, as a part of that, that being his presence, of revealing his presence and drawing people to herself. The primary task that Jesus gives to his people, is, uh, to his church, comes in Matthew chapter 28, the very last words that he speaks to them. So Jesus has died and he's risen from the dead and now he appears to his apostles um, in the, uh, at Galilee. And this is what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. So what is the primary task that Jesus gives to his church? Make disciples. That's the primary responsibility of the church and therefore of the church's leaders, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, something that's, that's really important here is, is we got to define this word. What does it mean to be a disciple? I've talked about this before, but to be a disciple is ultimately to be a student, to be a learner, but not just for the sake of bringing in information. I learn from the person that I'm following so that I can integrate what is taught to me and imitate that person. So if I'm a, to be a disciple of Jesus, I need to learn from him so that I can live like him. And again, something that's really important is to not only talk about this in a general kind of way, because what's going to happen? 
Well, a lot of times we'll talk about this, about how, hey, y'all need to live like Jesus. And what's going to happen is not many of us read the Bible on a regular basis. Not many of us read the Gospels. So what we naturally do when we hear this, you need to live like Jesus, is we naturally go in our minds like, oh, I have to live like I think that Jesus is. And so I, I shouldn't kill people, and I should just generally be a good neighbor to people. When in fact, to be a disciple, to live like Jesus, includes much more than just not killing people and being a good, generally good person. It includes a lot more than that. And so we can't only talk about being a disciple in a general kind of sense, but part of the task of the church and her leaders is to get into some specifics and to say, hey, this is what it means to be a disciple, and this is what it means to live like him. This is what it is to think like him. This is what it is to speak like him. So the church, that's the task. Now, how is the task carried out? Well, what does Jesus say? Go and make disciples doing what? Baptizing people. So giving them the sacraments. Baptism, of course, is the first sacrament that we receive that, that sort of initiates. It doesn't sort of, it does initiate us into the life of Jesus so that we can share a communion with him. But then, of course, we know that from baptism, we are invited into the rest of the sacraments. So the church's task as a part of making disciples is providing the sacraments for people. Of course, baptism, but then from there, of course, we know that the Eucharist is part of that. The, the sacrament of reconciliation is part of that. The sacrament of confirmation is part of that. Some people are called to be ordained, and so they receive the sacrament of holy orders. Some people enter into marriage, and so they receive the sacrament of holy matrimony. And for all of us, when, when we are preparing for our death, the hope is that the, the church would be there for us to provide the sacrament of anointing of the sick. Again, it's because it's, it's through these sacraments that we have real access to the presence of God. We have real access to Jesus, who can come to us and encounter us through these incredible moments that he gives to us because he wants to come to us, because he loves us, because we matter to him. So part of the task of making disciples from the church's perspective is providing the sacraments, which of course then implies there's an expectation that you would be receiving the sacraments, which means, of course, that you would come to Mass, that you would be taught that you need to come to Mass, that you would be taught that you need to be baptized, of course, right? But that they would be taught that, that you need to go to reconciliation, those kinds of things. Like, that's part of the church's task. And then from there, what does he say? Baptize them and do what? Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So a huge part of making disciples, a huge part of fulfilling the responsibility that Jesus gives to his church and to his church's leaders is teaching people. Teaching them what? to observe all of Jesus's commandments. And again, we can't talk about this only in a general way because if I just tell you like, hey, you gotta keep the commandments that Jesus gives us. Again, our natural tendency is to say, oh, okay, I gotta keep the commandments that Jesus gives so I shouldn't kill people and I should generally be a good neighbor. When in fact, we know this, hopefully we know this, that Jesus gives many more commandments. He gives many more teachings about what it means to follow him than just those two things. But the kind of state that we're in in our, our church today, which I guess we're, we're getting into it a little bit, the kind of state that we're in today is that this is our general thought of like to be a disciple of Jesus is just to not kill people and to be a generally good person. Right? And so it's part of the church's task is to what? Is to challenge us a little bit on that. Maybe a lot of bit on that to place before us the words of Jesus, his commandments, his teachings, and to tell them, hey, you got to follow these. Just like I myself have to follow these. St. Paul says in the second letter to the uh, Corinthians, he says, we, the leaders, are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors. We are his living representatives. As though what? As though God is making his appeal through us. 
As though God is appealing to you. He's speaking to you through the leaders of his church. Now, again, remember, the hope and the expectation from Jesus is that his leaders would not just be arbitrarily making things up on their own, but that his leaders would be consulting things like the scriptures, like the doctrine of the church, that, the, that his leaders would be consulting Jesus himself in prayer and study and scripture. So that, so that what? So that when the leader of the church preaches and teaches, he's doing it with the authority of God, and therefore it is God who is preaching and teaching to you. Instructing you, this is how you be a disciple of Jesus. So now, I think, I think there's just some, some room here for reflection. As we hear this, maybe we can ask ourselves this question. Has this been your experience of the church? I've mentioned this before. I grew up in a house that we didn't go to Mass on Sundays. I grew up in a house, I, I didn't really even go to faith formation after a certain period of time. And so I can, as I reflect on this, I can just say, like, this was certainly not my experience of the church when I was a kid. And my, my experience as a priest in talking to people is that I hear so many times from people, Father, I've never heard this before. And I talk about basic things. Father, I've never heard this before. Or so my experience is that a lot of people, their experience of the church is not this. And it's not really your fault. As, as, as we look into the state of the church, and like I said, as we get into some of the messy things, as well as looking at some of the hopeful things, a lot of the messy things falls on the shoulders of the clergy. Because something happened where we stopped talking about the basic things. We stopped talking about discipleship. Although maybe you have a different experience. Maybe this is your experience. And, and if that's the case, praise the Lord for that. But if it's not your experience, then, then maybe there's an invitation, a challenge, perhaps, from the Lord to say, okay, well, if I'm going to be a member of this church, then, then I need to become a disciple if I'm not a disciple. If I'm not, if I'm not yet one, following all of the commandments of Jesus, maybe I need to find them out so that I can keep them, so that I can be a disciple, so that I can contribute to what? To this unified whole which Jesus intends his church to be, to be this unified community that, that is unified in mission, in vision, that is unified in our love for God and our desire to please him and him alone. And as we are members of this this unified community, what are we doing? We're hopefully going to be drawing people to, to the light of Jesus, which can expand the kingdom of God and help all of us look forward to the kingdom. That's what the church is meant to be. And maybe it hasn't always been that way for you, for me. But this is what it can be. It's what Jesus wants it to be for us here and now. And so maybe today, as we reflect on this, as we reflect on our own experience of the church, we can look a little bit backwards, but more than anything, we can also look a little bit forwards and just say, Jesus, I want to be a disciple of yours today. I want to come and be with you. I want to ask you this question that, James and, or that Andrew and John asked, where are you staying? And I want to hear you say those words to me, come and see. So then I can go and I can stay with you, even to the point of remembering those small details. It's on this day, at this time, that I decided that I was going to follow him and follow him wholeheartedly.